Howdy, friends, and welcome to the Old Hat Podcast, and welcome back to the listeners and to Ginger. Welcome home from your travels. This is going to be our sixth podcast together. I'm starting to think we're going to have a trend here. I'm hoping so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been around the world. How was your vacation? Oh, it was amazing. We went up to Little Rock, spent Troy's birthday with his mama and his brother and family, and Looked at trees and wound up and down hills. Did you get car sick? I never did. Hallelujah. I was so proud. Uh, I, maybe I've grown up. <laughs> they let you ride in the front seat? I did. Because that's always the cure for car sickness is making them let you ride in the front like the grown-ups. Oh, was... <laughs> on many a student trip, I've said, sorry, y'all, I get the front seat. Yes. You want me to have the front mm-hmm. seat. <laughs> that's what my mom says, too. She'll go somewhere with quilting somewhere with friends and go, yeah. okay, I don't mind going, but I have to have the front seat. Gotta have it. Okay, there you go. We'd rather you be in the front seat than than be sick. So. That's right. <laughs> well, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some interesting things today that, that kind of came up for me on Friday of last week when it was uh, James Chambliss Day at a local high school here. Go Wildcats! <laughs> One of my friends, my favorite English teacher, Tamara, invited me. Uh, she invites me every year to come talk to her English freshman classes at high school because they they do a segment where they talk about poetry and uh, and they talk about a lot of different poets but one of them is yours truly James Chambliss because I write a, a, a kind of an unusual type of poem called anaphora which I always call anaphora because that's how it's spelled <laughs> do you do that do you read a word and, and pronounce it the way the English people would tell you and then find out it's not pronounced that way no you I always get it right <laughs> okay so I was married when I had to explain to my wife what an anemone was, an and she's like, an anemone, it's an anemone. anemone. Yes, but I'd never heard it. I'd only read it. And so so if your friends or your children mispronounce words, it may be because they learned it from reading, mm-hmm. and they actually listened in English class, and, mm-hmm. and anemone ought to be anemone, frankly. It's, yes. Anemone is how it's pronounced, but anaphora is how this is pronounced instead of anaphora, but they both sound kind of interesting. So. I don't know what either of them. <laughs> so what it is, uh, it's it's using the same phrase over and over and over again. And you see it in, in a lot of the poetry that I put on Facebook, uh, like, uh, this burden is heavy. This burden is heavy, but you didn't choose it. This burden ah. is heavy, but you didn't do anything to deserve it. That one's up there today, I think. But the idea is that it's got a, a recurring phrase over and over and over again. There's some famous examples. Uh, Winston Churchill, we shall fight them on the beaches. We shall fight them in the fields. We shall fight them on the street, you know, and Martin <laughs> Luther King, I have a dream. Now you don't sound like him. I don't sound anything like you. But you one sounded one. like Churchill. Did I? Sort of. I have a dream today. Because <laughs> yeah, that was better. Yeah, thank better. you. Because I, you know, and I love that speech because I have that same dream too, that my children That's will right. someday be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Yeah, my son and my grandson. <laughs> yep, yep. My some of my children are are, are not uh, not my color, mm-hmm. and but they're still my children. That's it's right. funny your heart your heart can't tell the difference. So whether your parents got you the old fashioned way or adopted <laughs> you, their hearts can't really tell the difference. And I find a lot of comfort in that. So the way James Chambliss Day works at the high school is they have a lecture hall, and I set up in there, and the kids come in every class period. All of the English classes for that class period show up. So the first period, I think there were two classes. Seventh period, there were like five. And the place oh, was full. In seventh period. Yes. <laughs> that was my favorite group of the day, as it turns out. Um, but 
they've been studying poetry. And, you know, of all the poets they've studied, I think I'm the only one that's not actually dead. Wow. So the rest of them can't show up, you know, so that may be by default there. But uh, but, but my stories, uh, what they want, they don't want me to tell them about poetry necessarily. Some do. But usually they have questions like, what inspires you to write? And the answer to that has been the same all of my life. I write poetry to help process the emotions I don't know what to do with. And I think... I think I've heard or read that that's the reason most poets write poetry. Mm-hmm. I guess I express mine or I whatever through tears because I've <laughs> never been able to write poetry. <laughs> well, you know, I, I tell I told the kids, I tell people this all the time. Uh, anger is the fire in which I burn up all the emotions I don't know what to do with. Yes. And yes. poetry is a way to try and do something else with it. A little more productive. Yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> So the the one poem I've written that everybody wants to know all of the stories about is called I Learned the Hard Way. Mm-hmm. And it's full of interesting things that I learned the hard way, like don't take the lid off a blender when it's running. <laughs> Maybe you knew that. But you had to learn that from doing it, James? I, I learned everything the hard way. <laughs> okay, well, I, I have too, in, in many instances. The difference is I admit it. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah, no. that's true. That's true. <laughs> there are always kids in there that learn things the hard way, too, but they just don't write poetry about it because <laughs> who wants to admit that? But I figure if I can tell you what I learned the hard way, then you will learn from that because some people are smarter. A lot of people are smarter than me and they know to learn from mm. others experience. And never so. quite learn that. Way. <laughs> I'm still trying. Uh huh. So the, what I really uh, what I usually started with, because it, it really just turns into me telling stories and making them laugh for most of the day because it's just it's funny stuff and it's friday after a long week and halloween's coming and nobody really wants to be at school anyway this year and uh, it was where was where it was and and so uh just telling them stories about things that happen and so they're they're what i want to talk to you about today was there were two questions that got the most response in every class and the first one was how many of you have mean sisters (laughs) And you shouldn't answer that. Regard, just plead the fifth here. Don't, I've met your sister. She's delightful. She is. Mine, however, are mean. And so when all the kids would raise their hands and wave back and forth and jump up and down, I'd, go, I'd say, my people, because I have mean sisters, too. And I can prove it, because one of the things I learned the hard way is not to climb an electric fence. Uh the hard way twice oh yeah twice because i have sisters oh. so when i was about five we lived in uh, decatur texas well we didn't we lived in the middle of nowhere it's where we lived decatur was kind of the closest place and and where our house sat across the street was where the state kept the highway building materials like asphalt and tar mm-hmm. so right. it smelled awful uh-huh. and next to us was a great big truck garden that they fertilized a lot and it smelled awful and behind us was a pig farm where, oh, where, they, of those in where they made fertilizer mm-hmm. and it smelled awful. And to the other side was an orchard, <gasps> which sometimes smelled delightful. We always knew where the wind was coming from. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we're standing there. My two older sisters and I are standing there. And again, I'm five. And we're looking uh, over the fence at these beautiful peach trees covered with beautiful peaches. And my sister said, James Harold, you ought to get us some peaches. 
And I said, I'm not falling for that because y'all will, y'all will tell on me. I'm not. And I had learned at that age that stolen water metal. Swo- <laughs> Joshua, you're going to have to help us there. Not swollen. Okay. Stolen watermelons are sweeter. That's what I had learned by then. So at five, I was all about stealing peaches. I just didn't want them to know it because then I'd get in trouble. And I told them so because that was their number one hobby was getting James oh, Harold sure. in trouble. And it I, was probably pretty easy. It wasn't hard at all. Just report on what he's doing currently and you'll get him in trouble because he shouldn't be doing that, whatever it is. And uh, I behaved one week that year really well because I was playing on the big piles of gravel and asphalt and broke a toe. And so I had to sit on the porch in my big wheel for about a week. Aww. I was real well supervised that week and real, real well behaved. They go together. But my sisters were like, we won't tell anybody if you get us peaches, too. And I went, well, all right, then. And so I walk over and grab the electric fence. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I let go, and I'm crying. Aww. Y'all are so mean. I can't believe you did that to me. And they said, we're sorry. And I said, you should be. And they went, no, no, not about that. We thought you knew how to climb one. And I said, what? We thought you knew how to safely climb an electric fence. Oh, and I get shocked. No. And I said, there's a way. And I didn't know. And they're like, yeah, you have to go over there between those two posts, and then it won't shock you. And I went, okay. So I went over there between the two oh. posts. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Y'all are so mean. Of course, they ran away laughing at that point. So, so they never did feel badly? <laughs> no, and they'll probably deny some of it, but they have to get their own podcast if they want to argue. So that's the first question that I got a big response to. And that's how the day goes. They ask questions about something in the poetry and I tell them the story behind it. And then word gets out or somebody will ask a question that has nothing to do with the poetry. And like, you know, how'd you meet your wife was one of them. And so that's fun. You're going to have to tell that. You know what? It's funny because I told every class the same thing. Any question you're brave enough to ask, I will answer it. Perfect. And whenever Tamara got up, she'd say, okay, this is James Chambliss. He's our poet today, and he is the boldest man I have ever known. And if you ask him a question, he will answer it. <laughs> she made it okay. Yeah, well, and it, you know, and they ask some questions that you don't expect them to ask. They want to know things that you don't realize they even need to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, being 14 is hard. Being a freshman is hard this time of life. No question about that. Which leads me to the next question that got more response than the do you have mean sisters. Uh, and I always tell them, if you have sisters, but you don't have a mean sister, it's possible you are the mean sister. So you need to examine your conscience. But, but the question that got the most response was always the same. Uh, how many of you think that the grownups in your life are not telling you everything? And Ginger, they oh. stood up and waved so they would be sure that I knew that mm-hmm. they were aware that they were not being told everything. And, and they were, it was just this wave of emotion coming off of them no they're not telling they're keeping stuff from us and they really want to know (laughs) i mean the stuff that's kept from them is kept from them for a reason right and and that's what i told them i said you know i I just confirmed it for them because they're right the grown-ups in your life are not telling you everything but there's a reason for that it's because it wouldn't help you right you know it and and the grown-ups in your life may not tell you that they just because they're too close to it. They're too emotional about the, the things you're asking about, and they know it won't help you. And so they don't tell you those things. What they try and tell you are the things that will help you. So what grown-ups know is, I mean, we all know how complex the problems are when you're 14. We were 14, and the world was not this complicated. Oh, my gosh, no. We didn't have all these things flying at us from different yeah. sources and 
and then just the stuff that's well, going on. I, you know, I and I'll, I'll be forever for ever grateful for this, but no one has video of me from when I was fourteen. No. It just wasn't done. I mean, no. I was when I was younger than that, probably ten. My family was on a television show. We were interviewed for a show in Dallas called Que Pasa, and it was uh, we had a foster child that was Hispanic, right? And that was and so they interviewed us. They came and set up TV cameras, and life has been fascinating <laughs> for me. That's why it's perfect you do podcasts. <laughs> it is, but that was that's the only video I know of me in my entire life. No, no, no. There's one more. So we ended up in a Salvation Army, no, a Red Cross commercial. Oh, I don't know why. Okay. I don't, again, my life has just been one thrill ride and I wasn't paying a lot of attention sometimes. So I didn't know why we did these things, but we, uh, we were at Texas stadium. The old Cowboys played at Texas, the real, stadium, the stadium. real one. That's yeah. right. We were in the parking lot and the red cross was shooting a disaster video. And so it's kind of a rainy cloudy day, but it wasn't raining enough. So they had a fire truck come out and shoot water <laughs> up in the air and, and I'm wearing my Cowboys, uh, poncho got a big star on the oh, front oh man mm-hmm. i'm i'm happy to be on tv wearing representing you know for my, right. my my team and they put duct tape over that oh so that you know because we're not here to advertise you oh. need to look you need to look like a disaster victim and so they it's messed up duct my, tape will do that they messed up my poncho man they did but and i thought i would never have anything to do with the red cross after that they messed up my poncho but but i'll tell you when i became a fireman every big fire we had so if you're there for more than an hour the red cross showed up Mm-hmm. And had coffee and donuts every swinging time. I drank so much Red Cross coffee, you wouldn't <laughs> believe it. So grateful for them, even though they messed up my poncho. <laughs> so talking about things are different and so forth. There's still some similarity. I had a headmaster one time, and it was so profound because God called me to work with those middle school kids mm-hmm. and and freshmen, and they're just so unique and. In a faculty meeting, he said, okay, I have a question for you. How many of you would like to be known today by who you were when you were 14? And it was like a slap in the face. Okay, people, get a grip. These kids are works in progress. You turned out okay. They probably will too. Just the things you deal with even way back then before we had Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I mean. And and with that. You know, there, there's even more than just the social pressure that comes with that from your peer group, you know, because now when I was 14, I probably knew 514 year olds. If I knew everybody in my class, there were probably 500 of us at my high school. That's it, though. That was everybody that I ever came in contact that was my age. And now I know 14 year olds with 50,000 people following them <laughs> right. on Instagram. And I'm like. Well, and the situations, James, we have to say, the situations are different. Yeah, there were bad things going on back then, a hundred years ago when I was 14. (laughs) But it just seems there's so much more of it now than there was then. I don't know if there truly is more or if we just hear more. What do you think? I think the problems are more complex. Okay. Because anytime there's more people involved, right? I mean... Yeah, I remember a, a big argument we got into my freshman year. And there were five of us involved in it, and it was it took two teachers to straighten it out amongst the. So we were still friends. I mean, it wasn't right. a big deal at all, but right. we all we all knew we were right, and that makes everyone else wrong. And uh-huh. so, and and but our teachers knew that we had all been friends for years, and this is a stupid thing to break up a friendship over. Right. So, so, but that was five people, yeah, and we thought it was very complex, and now. 
it can be thousands of people. I, I think the complexity is what has changed. I think basic human nature hasn't really changed. I think 14-year-olds, they have access to a lot more information than I had. But, uh, but it's just their problems are so much more complex now. And because of that, they feel like the parents ought to be coming across with more information. Their teachers ought to be telling, you know, you see it online all the time. There's a meme about parallelograms. Yes. I, I'm so glad that my teacher in high school taught me about parallelograms because it's <laughs> going to come in so handy during parallelogram season, right? <laughs> Knowing how to do my taxes would have been nice. Right. <laughs> but, you know, really, why would you teach someone who doesn't have to do taxes how to do taxes? Because there's enough other stuff that they need to be taught. Yeah, and, and, one the, and one of the things I firmly believe is you don't have to practice being miserable. True. You will be good at it when your time to be miserable comes. <laughs> when right. your tax season comes around and you've got to figure out your deductions and you've got to figure out, Please. you got to find all your receipts. You're hurting. And, You're I know, hurting me. <laughs> I know. But at 14, if you told somebody that, they'd go, well, I don't know what the problem is. That sounds easy. And at 14, it is. Right. But the emotional and, and relationship challenges at 14, I think, are much more profound than what I dealt with at 14 because, y'all, maybe I was just dumb at 14, but y'all are dealing with stuff I didn't even know existed then. But, you know, the basic... Though I can contribute. That's true. <laughs> well, but the basic fact is that uh, we still have to deal with the same types of problems. It, no matter how complex they are... The tools that you need to fix them are still pretty simple. And, and that's, you know, in football, they call it blocking and tackling, right? You got to learn the very Block basic and stuff. Yeah. And, and that's what you're trying. That's what your grownups are trying to teach you at, at 14, 15 years old is, look, you have to figure out how to talk to people. You have to understand who you really are. You have to decide what you believe. I mean, there's some basic things that I think that you have to have. And they're simple. And until you get that, you're not really going to get to the complicated, uh, you know, the routes that they run in the NFL. It <laughs> takes them 57 words and 19 numbers to call a play in the NFL. And, you know, in, in my freshman year of high school, our most complicated play was uh, 44 right sweep. That was it. I mean, there wasn't anything. I, bet like, I could have figured that yes, out. Yes. Well, the, the defense always did. <laughs> <laughs> but if you but if you need to if you have to solve complex problems that doesn't necessarily mean you need complex tools that's a trap that you find yourself thinking about so the grown-ups in your life are telling you the things that you need to know to help you deal with the problems that you're say, that you're facing but the question then becomes do you trust the grown-ups that are giving you that information should you trust the grown-ups and so ginger what i want to ask you is how do you know if you can trust the grown-ups that you're talking to. Let's see. An answer to that question. It's it's complicated. Can mm -hmm. I say it's complicated? Yeah. Go with your gut, even at 14 or 15. Okay, but at 14, I didn't trust myself with anything. Well, that was your problem. Well, okay, no, so, that, so, so you're saying that may not be one. So everyone else is very confident. Okay, it was just me having no, those questions. No, you, you make a very good point. I think that um, if they're listening to you, if you ask them a question and they answer you, whether you b believe what they're saying or, or, or not, they're responding to you, which shows they listen to mm -hmm. you. And basically... 
you have to read them. And you can read people when you're 14. You know if some girl's being mean to Ooh. you. You know, and apply those same things yeah. to the grown-ups. Well, and, and I would add to that, you know, are they, uh, are they meeting your needs? Definitely. You know, because I didn't grow up in a real touchy-feely environment at, at 14, 15 years old. But my dad had died, and my mom was working, f- you know, probably two or three jobs. I had a full-time job at 15. Um, and so it wasn't a real touchy-feely kind of, let's talk about our feelings. But you know what? My question would be, are they feeding you? Are they right. housing you? Right. Do you have clothes? Do they get you to school reliably? Do they pick you up or forget you? Do they, I mean, because if they're doing those things and, and I'm convinced that at 14 and in your twenties and some people farther than <laughs> that, you really just expect that your parents are just going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about that. But because that's what it says. <laughs> right. But if they're doing that, you, I think you can trust them. And sometimes though, James, it's just easier to trust people that aren't your parents. Oh, no question. So. And it's a lot easier to ask hard questions. I think of an adult that you trust that's not gonna you know be at your house later after school when um early on in my time at the school where i was we would have spiritual emphasis week and usually right before easter and we'd really focus on spiritual things and we'd have guest speakers come in and i remember one in particular dan cole oh he was wonderful and he came in and he really liked the fact that we weren't um, a school where you had to profess to be a Christian to come. Because right. some of the Christian schools are that way. And because he said, then it made it okay for people to ask those questions mm-hmm. about Scripture or Jesus or whatever. Because otherwise, oh, they're Christian, so they should know that. And he really appreciated the fact that they were free to ask those yeah. questions. Being in an environment where you can ask questions means that you trust those people. Right. Who do you ask questions of? That's who you trust. Should you trust them? Well, what do the answers look like? Because I think most of us know a wrong answer when we hear it. You know. You think that we're born with that instinct? No, I just think we know what's kind of socially acceptable where we are. True. You know, I think that from all the media influence we have, oh, we oh. know what's good and what's bad because they're so truthful about oh, it. Oh, maybe I'm off on the wrong track there. But you it's know, another podcast. But well, but some of it, you know, I think at 14, I would have known not to put pictures of me doing something illegal on TikTok. Oh, I think had I destroyed yes. a high school bathroom, I wouldn't have wanted it documented on a video. You know, and 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 now. I think that, you know, that's one of the trends I'm hearing about online. And uh-huh. I think that when you do that, that's almost a cry for help. But I think, oh, no, I think it is definitely a cry yeah. for help. And most people look at that and go, dude, that's a bad idea. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, we aren't seeing a revolution led by 14-year-olds no, for the most part, right? Which, there are functioning <laughs> bathrooms in schools all over the country. So that's not really happening. And I think that's because most 14-year-olds go, yeah, that's stupid and we're not doing that. So I think we have developed, at, by 14, we've developed some ideal of right and wrong. So then the the situation becomes, if you're uncertain about something, ask. Yeah. Ask. You know, if you have eight teachers during the day, I'm on. I'm going to bet seven of them are very trustworthy. Right. There's always there's always a possibility of being one. Probably all eight. But I had a teacher I didn't trust and shouldn't have, and I knew that, and we all knew that. And and later, what we were complaining about them. It came out. And, yeah, yeah. And, and we were right. So I think you can, like you said earlier, you can trust your intuition. You can go with your gut 
on things like that. But really, most of your teachers, probably adults that you can talk to, probably people that you can trust, and I think you should. So basically, people aren't, grown-ups aren't telling us everything, and it's because there's some things we just don't need to know, but if we feel like we need to know it, Ask. Yeah. Ask somebody. One of the ways that we know that you're ready for that information is because you're bold enough to ask the question. Yeah. Because part of being ready for the information is the willingness to form and ask the question. Okay, so here's an example of, of, of making the decision to trust people when you're in a situation that you really can't control. I found myself at the high school saying to kids, thank you for coming. But they didn't have any choice. <laughs> but you were being polite like yeah. your mother taught you. Yeah, I was. And so, you know, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Not that you had any options. And and two girls actually said, no, we did have an option. We could have stayed in the FFA barn. Ooh. And I'm like, wow, you chose me over animals? 14-year-old <laughs> girls choose to come see you over animals, dude. You rate. Well, they knew how to get to you, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> you would have been out there in the FFA. Well, I tell them a lot of things I learned the hard way would qualify as an FFA caution class. You know, things not to do in the barnyard. That was, don't uh, don't hold the llama's head so closely was something that they learned. I'll tell that story another time if people don't know it. But I'll give you another example of when you just have to make the decision to trust the people that are in charge of you. I don't know if you've ever heard of ICU dementia. No. Okay, so there's this thing when people are in ICU for a long time, and probably more people now than at any time in America's history know someone who spent a lot of time in ICU because of the COVID-19 situation. But in my fireman days, it came up a lot. And through my life, you know, once you know something, you're responsible for what you know. Mm. Kids, that may be why we don't answer all your questions mm -hmm. and tell you everything you want to know, because then you'd be responsible for that information. But one of the things I know about is ICU dementia. And what happens is you start hallucinating. You're in ICU, you've been there for days and days, and you start hallucinating. And you think that they're trying to hurt you, they're not trying to help you. And I tell people... I've been to the ICU. I texted with a friend not too long ago. Lacey was having this problem. Like, okay, so here's what you have to do. You have to make the decision that these people love you. You have to make the decision that they are doing everything they can to help you. And you have to make the decision. It's a conscious thing. You have to decide that you're going to trust them to take care of you. Because there's nothing you can do about it. Just like when you have to go to school because you're a freshman. There's really not much you can do about that. You have to go. You're 14. And and in the hospital, same thing. You're there. You don't have any choice. You have to decide to trust them because that's the only way you can calm down. And that's what the ICU dementia is about. You get so stressed. You get so worked up. And you just start to believe all these weird things. You come up with all these different scenarios in your head and freak yourself out which is also something people do at around 14 a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and, and so you've just got to make those decisions and go, you know what, this is, a, we'll call it high school dementia, right? There's You're getting so much conflicting information and you're not really in charge of your schedule and you're not in charge of, you know, how much homework you have. And you're not, I mean, you can decide not to do your homework, but that's really, you know, <laughs> that's the control you have. You don't have a car yet. You probably don't have a job yet. I mean, you're so limited you have to make the decision and go, you know what? I am really talking myself into a lot of stress here. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm just going to trust the people that are in charge of me right now. And it, I think that helps. If you can, <laughs> if you can tell yourself that and then believe it because that makes sense. Yeah. So I want to ask you this because boys grow up hearing this. Don't worry about things you can't control. 
Mm-hmm. We hear it in football practice. We hear it, you know, you can't do anything about the crowd. Just play the game. You you can't do anything about the running back if you're a lineman. Just, you know, find your assignment and do that. That's all. You can't worry about anybody else's job. Uh, it's in the books that we read, you know, the Army books, the Western books, whatever. You know what? I can't do anything about the weather. I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do today. Do girls ever hear that growing up? Girls, on the other hand, are responsible for everything. We're responsible for everything. That's not right. I know. How could you be? <clears throat> well, because we're women. <laughs> so here's my rule. If you're responsible for it, then you have the authority to change it. It makes sense to me. If you don't have the authority, you also don't have the responsibility. You, you have the responsibility to do your homework, for instance. That means you have the authority to do it. Okay, I'm processing. When you hear silence, it means I'm processing. <laughs> <laughs> She's thinking. She's I thinking. am thinking, which is a good sign. It is. Um, I just, I, it's true, James. I had never thought about that. If, if it's your the responsibility. The boys yeah. get this message. The girls get this message. And that's not fair. No, it's not. And somebody needs to tell girls, look, you can't, you can't do anything about racism on a national basis. All you, you can do is you. I mean, all you can really be in charge of is what you're responsible for. You can be nice to people that are different skin tones than you. So you do the next right thing or kind thing, mm-hmm. and that's affecting some difference. It's making some difference. It is. And little bits of difference can add up to a big difference. Yeah, if everybody did that, we wouldn't mm-hmm. have any of these problems. Right. You know, it's the same with global warming or Climate change, I'm kind of <laughs> off the track on what we're calling it. Because when I was 14, what was going to happen was we were all going to die in an ice age. Oh. Time magazine, when I was in high school, had a picture of ice uh, icebergs flowing uh-huh. across America. <laughs> so you, what you saw were these great big mountains of ice outside of Manhattan because they were going to crush us all. Cause it was, and now they're saying we're all going to burn up. <laughs> If you wait long enough, the climate will change. Yes, it will. And and whatever you happen to believe about that, there's nothing you can do about it, no. except you can lower your own carbon footprint, right? I don't think people that take private jets to Europe should be lecturing you about your carbon footprint. That's just my personal opinion. Oh, you're opening up a whole other door for me, but I'm not going to, that's not what we're talking that's about. Another, that's so another podcast. <laughs> but you know, we can't have any impact on that. No. You know, a lot of people from our government went to Scotland in big jets and drove around in 800 cars or whatever. And I'm over here in my truck. I went to town twice. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking my carbon footprint's not as big as theirs is. Get off my back. But, but you know what, what I can do is make sure that my truck is tuned up, so I'm not, you know, blowing oil smoke everywhere. What I can do is not throw litter out the window when I drive down the street. Ooh, that's a whole other podcast, uh-oh, too. Uh-oh. Y'all, Ginger's, uh, Ginger's driveway ends on a really busy road, and and I'm told people throw trash out there, and it all ends Every up. Every day there's new trash out there. And it all ends up in your driveway. Uh. So where where our house is, it's changed a little bit because we had to cut a bunch of trees down. But uh, but it used to be that everything in this neighborhood blew to our yard right <laughs> up against the trees. And so anytime there's a big wind, it's like, I got to go fill up the trash cans. <laughs> but you know what? I can't do anything about trash blowing around the world, but I can pick it up in my yard. And that's that's all I'm advocating here is you're, you see your problem as, as worldwide and complex, but really all you can do is what you can do. 
you know, I, I wish that I could change the world. I, I wish I could do away with racism. Mm-hmm. I do because it's impacted my family all of my life. I, I wish I could, uh, I, I could do something more profound for the world at large and end hunger and poverty. That would be great, but I can't. What I can do is make sure that people I know aren't hungry. You know, what I can do is help you put gas in your car if you need to get work. And I mean, I can do that, but that's just here locally. And and it's the same is true for you when you're 14. You can only do certain things. But do them. Yes. But do them. Yeah. Be willing to do them. And that's hard at 14. It takes a lot of courage. To get outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's huge. But then that's what we're supposed to do. It is. And, and, and as you do them, you change. The more often you are kind, you become a more kind person. True. The more often you are helpful, you become a more helpful person. And the more helpful you are, the more people count on you to be helpful. And you become more responsible. You know, what happens is, is, is you change. And, and all you, you need to change. We all need to change and grow and improve. And for that, all you need are simple tools and basic information. And that's why the grownups in your life have only given you simple tools and basic information because they know that right now that's all you need. And they know, and now I'm telling you, as you change and grow, you're going to ask those harder questions and your grownups are going to know that you're ready to hear those answers. And I think, I think you're getting close to that. And, you know, I'm still asking questions. Ginger and I stop the machine sometimes and go, okay, what do you think about this? <laughs> Y'all, we've had two other podcasts in the pauses in between we talking know. about this. We're making notes going, okay, that's the second podcast. That's the third podcast. It's those questions. I, I need to know. But I was born asking questions. So this is perfect for me, James. Good. I can ask you and you'll have an answer. Uh, well, whether it's a good answer yeah. or not, you just well, have to decide if I'm a trustworthy grown-up or I not. I was used to that with Troy Bobby Bell. I could ask <laughs> a question and he'd give me an answer. Whether it was actually true or not, he'd still give me an answer. <laughs> a friend of mine sends me clippings from uh, Calvin and Hobbes all I the time. Because Calvin. Calvin would ask his dad questions and his dad would come up the, the most ridiculous answers. You know, <laughs> One of them, uh, they were driving across a bridge and Calvin said, how do we know, how do they know how strong to build the bridge? And his dad said, oh, that's easy. They build a bridge and then they drive a car over it. And if it works, they drive a truck over it. And if that works, <laughs> they drive a bigger truck. And they keep doing that until one's heavy enough to break it. <laughs> And then they rebuild it that strong and say nothing bigger than that can go across. <laughs> and that made perfect sense to Calvin. And, you know, mom got mad about it, right? But that, I got a lot of that information growing up. That may be why I asked so many questions. Well, it could be you're, you're wanting to verify. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? That's a good thing to do. Yes. Ask questions. Trust but verify. That's mm-hmm. an old uh, an old term in politics. Uh <laughs> When, the, when we woke well, yeah, old, 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 right? So when Reagan was in office, uh, they decided that the Russians and the Americans were both going uh, to get rid of some of their nuclear weapons. And somebody asked the president, Reagan at that time, you know, how do you trust the Russians will do what they say they're going to do? And he said, we're going to trust, but we're going to verify. <laughs> and you can do that. If you get information from a grown-up you trust, ask a different grown-up. And see you if you get, yeah, and see if you get the same information. That's that's called using the simple tools and the basic information that you've got. And if you do that, you will change and grow, and you will ask those harder questions. And your grown-ups that you trust, they'll really know that you're ready to hear the answers. And listen, don't be afraid of that, because I really do believe that the best is yet to come. <laughs>